Content Warning, Racism and Slavery. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Not all stories of monsters and witchcraft and wandering heroes who stand against them take place in ancient history or imagined kingdoms. They say that in the young United States of America, deep in the heart of the old mountains, walks a man with a silver-stringed guitar, pure of heart, learning and a-singing the old songs as he goes. John's his name, no more than just a natural man, well, maybe taller than some. Up these heights and down these hollows he goes, and the things he's seen and tells, if you believe it, you might could get some good thing out of it. He's faced the evil and the unnatural and lived to speak and sing about it. Listen and you might learn. Who fears the devil? Good morning, welcome to <clears throat> What Mad Universe. Uh, today we're looking at uh, a series of stories by the author Manly Wade Wells Wellman. Uh about a character uh, referred to simply in the stories as John, uh, but known elsewhere uh, in for publishing purposes as Silver John or John the Balladeer. Or sometimes Hillbilly John. Or sometimes Hillbilly John, uh, which was the name of the movie that they yeah, eventually made of we'll him. we'll get to that later. We will, yeah. Uh, and um, he, uh, uh, he wrote these stories uh, late 50s, early 60s. Uh, although they're kind of timeless, they don't have a. Mm -hmm. They're sort of set deliberately in a in a never existing time. Um, Mentions some modern things like right. like Coca Cola and a, and the Korean War right. is mentioned once. And they had truck. Yeah. Did they now? Did they specifically mention the Korean War? Could yeah, they talk not about that he was in it. Right. Because uh, he was in a war of some right. sort. But it does mention another character was in the Korean War. Right. I think the implication you're supposed to take is that he's in the Korean War, but he very specifically doesn't mention which war he was in. Yeah, so but can... another character does mention the Korean War specifically. Right, right. Yeah, it was, set, it, was set, it was meant to be contemporaneous at the time. Yeah. But it's set in, and I mean, the whole point of setting it in sort of the backwoods of Appalachia is that it's kind of seen as an anachronistic time, a time uh, cut off from the march of history and the march of uh, modernity. Um it's, uh, I've, I like to compare them to, uh, you know, if the Conan the Barbarian stories, uh, were set in modern day, uh, Appalachians and, uh, instead of killing monsters, uh, Conan sang 
music at them <laughs> and they're thereby defeated them uh but it's got that it, it does have that wandering hero pulp feel but it's uh it's based on to a certain degree the folklore of the uh of of that era uh, of that area uh he does weave in some sci-fi elements as well mm-hmm. which is and kind also of interesting. some horror elements uh, right he was obviously influenced by Lovecraft in some ways. Right. Apparently one of the later books, which we weren't able to get a hold of, actually directly mentions Miskatonic University and the oh. Necronomicon. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because he wrote those, uh, there was a big gap. He wrote the short stories. Mm-hmm. Then there was a gap and then I guess he was sort of rediscovered and then he started writing Silver John novels. Yeah, in the 70s. In the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. yeah. The last one's like 85 or 86, yeah. I think. So it's quite We recent. weren't able to find most of the novels. <laughs> we were able to... Yeah. Because they're out of print. Right. Um, we yeah. might uh, track them down and do a future episode on this because I really like these stories, by yeah. the way. Yeah, Phil really um, enjoyed them. <laughs> um, but they're really cool. Yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, it's you know, as you, as you know, that's kind of a colorful region. Um, if, if you don't know, the Appalachians are uh, a mountain, mountain range uh, stretching parallel to the east coast of the U.S. Uh, they go as far north as Canada. Uh, when most people talk about the Appalachians, what they mean is the southern part of the range, uh, encompassing the Great Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge, which are name-checked in the story. Uh, that passes through Virginia, West Virginia, Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee. So that's kind of the uh, the it's it's what the area we refer to uh, when we talk about people are being hillbillies. Uh, they came from that area. Um, it was sons of the soil. Sons no. of the soil. Yeah. If so, I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. You're right. They like to be referred to that way. Um, settled by Scotch and Irish immigrants in the early 1700s. Uh, they brought many of their customs with them. Uh, so the mountains were remote and cut off from much of the rest of the country and the clan loyalties of the old country developed into tribal loyalties, suspicion of outsiders and fierce self-reliance. Uh, so the, you know, as I say, the supposedly more civilized people of the lowlands called them hillbillies. Uh, up till the mid 20th century, it was seen as very much a sort of remote area, cut off in time. Um, there's a lot of cliches about that area, uh, about that whole uh, period. And uh, sometime in the 30s, there was actually a, a bit of a swell of uh, people coming down into the cities to uh, look for work. Uh, and that's kind of where we got a lot of um, uh, media like... Um, uh, little Abner and stories about well, suddenly there was a sort of an interest in hillbillies and what was going on in the in the south. That 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 whole um, pop cultural phenomenon has kind of cemented itself. I believe actually around World War Two era, uh, that's where it sort of exploded. Um, and there's also the Ozarks, although those aren't the setting for the stories, but they're also known as kind of a backwoods mountain region. Uh, that's a little further west out in the Tennessee area. Um, so they have they they're they're famous for their superstitions. There's a lot of uh, famous fo- superstitions about uh, about um, the uh, the Appalachian people of the Appalachians. Uh, some of which probably descend if you go far enough back to like old Irish traditions mm-hmm. and uh, things like uh, you don't. You don't inhale when you pass a graveyard, which is something we did when I was kids, but apparently that originates in Appalachia. Um, the, the hanging of a horseshoe over your doorway, again, that's from Appalachia originally to ward off evil. Uh, never touch an empty rocking chair. They have some other weird ones. Uh, yeah. Um, it should be mentioned that um, magic was not as frowned upon as it is in other sort of Christian areas. Yeah, like it was a it was an important part of the community, right? Like it, there were there were officially appointed yarb doctors and right, uh, uh, um, dowsers. Yeah, dowsers. Yeah, and uh, uh, women who were sort of appointed that 
right. role in society. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different, um, you know, yeah, it's, there's not much of a, it's almost like there's so much superstition that you need the counter superstition, you need mm. to be able to be, to counter it, so nobody's going to look at you like you when you make the sign of the evil, against the evil eye, or, um, you know, you knock wood, or, I actually, that's probably not from Appalachia originally, but, um, the, um, there, there was one I heard that was really weird, I didn't even put it down here, um, that if three women, if two women help another woman dress, uh, the youngest one will die okay. <laughs> by before the end of the year is supposedly an Appalachian superstition. There's just so many. You don't sweep under the uh, bed of a someone who's sick or they'll die. Um, there, just, there's so many strange superstitions. Yeah. And also some pos- some positive ones like the uh, the dummy uh, the dummy suppers or what was that called? Oh, I, I'm the, not... The I'm Dumb Suppers. Oh, uh, Dumb Supper. Oh, yeah, that Yeah, actually, that was it. Yeah. Uh, which is dealt with briefly in, in one of the stories, but that was a real thing, right. where they would... Uh, uh, girls would sort of uh, figure out who they would eventually marry. Right. Through uh, a weird sort of laying right. out plates and stuff and right yeah you put you yeah that's what what is it you put out the plates and it's supposed to summon your future yeah. husband or whatever to the to, to to the supper yeah and there's i've heard ones about um yeah there's a lot of uh the equivalent of catching the bouquet at a wedding sort mm-hmm. of who's going to be next to be married um supposedly if you cut an apple peel long enough and throw it over your shoulder that'll spell out the name of or provide a visual clue of who your future husband's going to be mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of things like that yeah so, it seems uh from what i've read most of the witchcraft was to do with love or right that sort of topic right um light a candle look in a mirror and you'll see your future that's another yeah. one yep Lots of lots of lots of little cantrips that they they yeah. that you you would do, and you know they believed witches were everywhere, usually bad witches. Yeah, um, you know, so and people and, could uh, give you the evil eye. Wellman spent time in Appalachia, right? Yeah, actually, it was um, he he uh, he was in the Ozarks uh, before World War II, and then after World War II, he moved to a nearby area and he started really studying uh, the Appalachian folklore. Yeah, uh, so it's actually. Uh, I can talk about this. Oh, Sorry, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I've, uh, I've got a bit on Wellman, actually. I was just going to say, the, the stories feel very authentic. Oh, yeah. They're... Even stories where he's clearly making something up, it mm-hmm. still feels like it would fit right into the local yeah. culture. Yeah. And the uh, the dialect is not annoying, which is <laughs> which I was sort of dreading going in. Mm-hmm. Um, you recommended this one. I hadn't actually heard of this before you mentioned it, but... Uh, it started coming up elsewhere. There's a Hellboy story I recently read yeah, where yeah. that was dedicated to Wellman. Anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it can be, it, it's, he's he's really nailed, he's a very good writer. He's got a very good yeah. command of prose. And he doesn't, definitely, he has the uh, the the conversational uh, methods of that you mm-hmm. would associate. I mean, again, without being able to check it myself, uh, it certainly sounds authentic. And, and it all sounds, of the uh, stories, save for one uh, that we read, uh, were actually written from John's point of view. Right, yes. There yeah. was one story which was third person, and I'm not sure why, but... Yeah, yeah. well, it, it may have been that he didn't have a full handle on the character at this that This was point. a later one. Yeah, it's the Frogfather one. No, no, it was... View, right? uh, uh, it was one of the later ones. Uh, we Don't Go There Anymore, I think it was called. Okay. Um, um, yeah. It was about sure. uh, on the other side of the river, there was... A place that you don't go and a woman went there and bad right. things happened. Right, yes. It was one of the shorter ones, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ex- yeah, he wrote a couple of little short ones, which... It's not, argu- not one of the really short ones. No, no. 
But he did write a couple of really short ones, yeah. and it's arguable whether they were officially Silver John stories because yeah. they don't even yeah. mention his name or anything. Those uh, those reminded me of a Lord Dunsany collection called Fifty One Tales, but right. We'll get into Lord Dunstein another yeah, day. That'll be down the line sometime, yeah. But yeah, uh, well, Wellman is, uh, since you brought him up, uh, he's he's kind of an interesting guy. Um, he was born, he has an origin that sounds 100% like a pulp hero himself, because he was born in Africa uh, when his dad was stationed there as a, uh, as a uh, medical military officer, if I recall correctly, Frederick Creighton Wellman. Um, and supposedly his dad restored the site of a chieftain, a chieftain there. Uh, and the chieftain sort of was so grateful he adopted both uh, Wellman's father and the boy. And so he, uh, he was kind of whatever the, equi- the local equivalent of a godfather is. Uh, and then eventually he, when he moved back to the U.S., he's also supposed to have had... Oh, a, you just said Africa, but it says here Portuguese West Africa. Yeah, Portuguese... Just to be specific. Right. It was a place... Africa is a big place. Na, now Angola. It was Portuguese West... It was at the time known as Portuguese West Africa. Um, and then when he moved... Uh, he's also supposed to have had Native American blood. Um, anyway, when he moved back to uh, the U.S. and became a writing a writer, his first book was called... Or his first story published was called The Lion Roared. It was published in Thrilling Tales in 1927. And it is, you know, drawing on his African upbringing and all that stuff. Um, so it's not surprising in many ways that he became a pulp writer from that. Um, you know, he, he did have um, a, a doctorate of laws, I believe. So he was college educated and he sort of has a respect for college educated people despite... Uh, even Silver John himself is college educated and uh, at one point he's credited as having uh, the equivalent of a PhD in folklore even though he's never been to college and has mm-hmm. never had any official book learning um, that is you know everyone talks about and he has friends with who are college professors who talk to him all the time yeah so uh, it's kind of hard to not to imagine that Wellman was basing that on his own interviews with the local hill people and he was sort of switching it around and making it um, you know the protagonist being someone who was always being interviewed by uh, by uh, by uh, college people. Um, I did like in um, in the first novel, um, uh, The Old Gods Waken, um, he goes to see an old uh, Indian man named uh, Ruben Manco. Yeah. Uh, and he's, li- and, if, and you go, oh my God. And then he's actually really smart about it. And Ruben yeah. Manco is a college professor uh, who's an expert on world folklore. Yeah. He's a Native he American. He starts out speaking stereotypically, but it yeah. turns out he's actually playing a joke on them. Right. Yeah, uh, he's doing it kind of to test them to see if they're going to be jerks about him, yeah. basically. Yeah. And, uh, and after that, he speaks very, you know, perfect yeah. english and right um and like you said he's a professor of folklore and right yeah, yeah he's got there's two different characters in the old god waken who are uh profet who are uh college uh college uh professors on the subject of folklore and uh they're and, both native yeah yeah the native uh native american stuff but you know they know and and they're actually fighting uh european druids in that story yeah um there's an interesting actual subtext about how almost it's almost the europeans trying to invade it with their folklore taking over from the native mm-hmm. american folklore but mixing into something new which is right which is interesting because it's sort of mixed well, we're going into specifics in the story. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, no, um, that's fine. Yeah, um, the um, yeah, it's it mixes with the local Cherokee legends and local yeah. uh, traditions, mm-hmm. uh, including the uh, the Raven Mockers, right? Which are one of the creatures in the story, right. which are real uh, Cherokee legend, mm-hmm. though they're presented a bit more like Lovecraft monsters. Right? They're they're a kind of witch in Cherokee legend that sound like ravens, and they eat 
the hearts of the poor and weak. Right. Uh, the weak and feebled. Right. And uh, they fly around and, like I said, they make the sound of a raven, hence right. the name Ravenmocker. Right. Um, in this story, there's sort of a weird the, bird bat creature. Yeah, they kind of get called to the site. But yeah, the, 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 there are these two brothers who are druids, but they're kind of drawing on all the magic that's local, including sort of Native American magic, I guess. Mm. Uh, and yeah, they so at one point they have to fight off, uh, or yeah, sort of fight off and sort of avoid uh, the raven mockers who get called there. Mm. And they're kind of the henchmen for the yeah. druids, actually. Um, so yeah, it's kind of they'll they'll take what they can get in terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of. But yeah, the, in that story, they're kind of drawing on just whatever local powers and and supernatural entities are are to hand. Um, just one last thing about uh, Wellman that I kind of thought was cool was uh, he won uh, a story, he wrote a story called A Star for a Warrior uh, in 1946, which won the Ellery Queen Award uh, for, uh, which is, a, I believe, a mystery award, uh, mystery story. And he beat out William Faulkner, and apparently William Faulkner was really angry about that, and, and he was just really upset that uh, uh, like a mere pulp sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. writer had beaten him, and he literally wrote angry letters to the board and said, do you know who I am? I'm <laughs> William Faulkner, basically. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he got, uh, but no, uh, I mean, Wellman's a very good writer, so you can see why he uh, he did it. Um, and he wrote, he did write mystery stories as well. He actually, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote some uh, Sherlock Holmes pastiches, I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't read it because uh, it's out of print, mm-hmm. but I saw he wrote a uh, mashup of uh, Sherlock Holmes meets War of the Worlds. Right, yes. So it's what Sherlock Holmes was doing during the alien invasion. Right. That was mu- that was quite a bit later. That, that was in the 70s. Of, yeah, yeah, late 70s. But yeah, he and then before that, he had, I think, a supernatural detective that he wrote stories about. Or maybe it was just oh, a yeah, regular Oh, yeah, no, detective. he did. Um, yeah. And apparently the second uh, Silver John novel shares a villain with them. Okay. Uh, pre-human... Uh, inhabitants of uh america right um i can't remember what they're called offhand but uh yeah uh so apparently there was a wade wellman shared universe oh, okay there you go as seems to have been the way with pulp writers a lot yeah. of the time um that you know that in many ways that was the big uh, 20th century pulp sci-fi thing lovecraft had it howard yep. had it and uh though they were a lot looser than it. they are now and i yeah. prefer that yeah. for it looser but anyway. yeah exactly well it's kind of like i've only got so many ideas and i gotta bang out so many stories yeah. at a given time um but yeah no they uh so he he uh you know he was he was actually somewhat uh reg- well regarded in his time i i get the impression uh that basically he wrote the stories sort of before the war- world war ii uh, you know a decade or so after world war ii I think he sort of faded a bit into obscurity and then was kind of rediscovered later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we said, there was actually a movie made of Silver John uh, known as either The Legend of Hillbilly John or Who Fears the Devil, which is on YouTube, uh, interestingly enough. You can watch the whole movie on YouTube. It's actually kind of neat. Um, yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting take on it. It's I, I read it described as a uh, in, in a review as... Uh, a very smart movie, but not necessarily a cohesive movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it has a lot of cool references into in it. 
Yeah. Uh, it adapts the stories in an interesting way, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's sort of all over the place. Right. Well, it's a series of, le- of vignettes, basically. Yeah. It's almost an anthology movie that just stars the same character. And it's also sort of an origin of the character, which the right. books don't give. Yeah, I, I actually really like the origin. Actually, that's a good segue, because John doesn't have an origin. He's just a guy who's been wandering uh, the, the, uh, the, the mountains. And he but... has silver strings on his guitar, which yeah. can ward off certain spirits. Yeah, and, and yes, because silver is a ward, of course, and as with many other cultures it's a ward against evil uh in the movie what what i think is actually kind of cool is his uh his uh the the guy the old man who raised him and may or may not have been his actual father it's yeah, a little it's ambiguous a little um but anyway his his adopted dad um he basically says i'm going to string my guitar with silver and sing the defy which is the song you sing uh basically to you know shut down the devil basically and uh so he melts down some silver dollars and sings the defy and then he he gets killed, uh, and it's because there wasn't enough silver in the real government silver dollars. There wasn't any silver at there the wasn't time, any, apparently. Yeah, so it's because it was, you know, the government <laughs> missed him over. And the whole movie is actually very um, 60s, 70s. Uh, it's like, very 70s, yes. It, it makes um, him a hippie, John basically. Is basi- yeah, yeah, I was going to say, John is basically a hippie. Yeah. The music, other than the title theme, is mm-hmm. more hippie music than yeah. Appalachian folk right. music at least from what i understand yeah the hippie um, yeah the, the, the hippie folk music was kind of a thing yeah. so it is still folk music but it's 60s folk and music. the last shot of the movie is him yeah. marching on washington right yeah that was kind of interesting i know there was i've never seen them but there's a series of movies around that time called the legend of billy jack yeah, uh, yeah i know which has a whole thing about you know a hippie yeah he's half native american but clearly not right and i feel like they were kind of trying to tap into that with this adaptation that was kind of where they were they were going the you know john is much more of a sort of a gosh i'm like he's he seems younger in the movie than he's definitely younger that's why i thought he was was, it was more of an origin than a right right which is but uh, it does straight up adapt uh two of the stories right uh the desert of yandro which is yeah was that how you pronounce it the desert on yandro yeah um yeah um which is uh an interesting story that deals with sort of fearsome critters mm-hmm. uh all of what most of which it seems wellman made up yes they that's seem authentic yeah well it, that was actually something i was looking up because yeah it's he goes up to a cabin with a greedy miser whose ancestor built the cabin and uh the the miser gets what's coming to him basically because the there was a, a witch who's been waiting for 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 him since his grandfather jilted her uh but they talk about all the monsters that live up there and they're all kind of the 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 uh, fantastical monsters which seem like they would come authentically out of the folklore now here's the interesting thing um for instance they talk about the behinder which is the thing that nobody's ever seen because it's always behind you and if you turn around to look at it, it it can hide really well um there is apparently something from folklore of that region called the hide behind. Okay. Uh, tied into logger folklore. And it sounds like basically, from what I can tell, uh, log- when loggers moved into the Appalachians, because that was a big, it became a big logging concern late 19th century. And uh, loggers like to make up fantastical creatures they'd say were living yeah. in the woods. So that kind of interwove with the Appalachian culture. So that's where all the sort of fantastical monsters. There are definitely some fantastical monsters in Appalachian folklore. Um, there was one called the, uh, let's see here. I'm going to check it out. Um, the Yahoo, which is basically a Bigfoot, yep. uh, but an Appalachian Bigfoot. Uh, there's also apparently something called the Snallygaster, which is a corruption of German, a something Geist. I forget the exact word. Uh, but that is a giant bird with an alligator head, but still has a beak. Okay. Um, which apparently eats the souls of people who are unwary or whatever. As you that, do. 
As you do. Well, but then uh, another one of the stories talks about the ugly bird, uh, a, yeah. a witch man who has a bird that is sort of he created maybe it, his It's soul. made out of his ec- his ectoplasm. Right, Which exactly. they use that word. Yeah. Which is before Ghostbusters. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing in the 20s and 30s. They believed in ectoplasm yeah. as the spirit medium, basically. Yeah. So it was kind of, and it was almost pseudoscientific because yeah. Wellman sometimes tries to make it pseudoscientific uh, because of the 50s and everyone liked pseudoscience at that mm. point. Um, but he, um, as in, as scientific as a justification, even though it wasn't very good science, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, fake science um making up stuff um the uh but the yeah anyway the the the, i think the first published uh silver john story is the the ugly bird and it's this guy who has a a giant bird who does his bidding and he he's he's very unambitious uh super villain because he just wanders around you know sponging food off people yeah telling people to to you know give me food or give me a wife or yeah you know whatever he feels like yeah like he has omnip he's basically omnipotent but he doesn't bother going to the government to yeah <laughs> he just he does well he's he's you know he's a hillman he probably doesn't think that far he just doesn't think ahead of the, in some ways he's a reflection of silver john himself because john just goes wandering around the countryside mm-hmm. and he literally says i have sometimes i was lucky to have two shirts but most of the time i just had my guitar and i just wander and god will provide the rest basically so this guy's the same way except the ugly bird provides for what he needs yeah. the, <laughs> the ugly bird and his evil eye i think he was implied he had kind of one eye that was that could curse you as well but um John ends up beating the ugly bird with his uh, guitar, which has silver strings, and therefore uh, destroys it. And uh, does that kill uh, Olmsted? Yeah. yeah. On, 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 what's his name? Olmstein. Oh, I, I didn't write that down. Mr. Um, Omha, on, yeah. Mr. On, on, on Stolm. Onselm, that's it. Mr. Onselm. Yeah, um, yeah I, I can't remember if it kills him or just... It does kill him. Puts him out of commission. Yeah, because yeah. the ugly bird, when the ugly bird dies, it kills him as well. Right, exactly. Uh, but yeah, going back to the, the Desert on Yandro, yeah, there's a whole bunch of uh, monsters in that story as well. And uh, yeah, it does seem like Wellman made them up because people say, oh yeah, I've heard about that in folklore, but whenever they trace it back, it's always to the Wellman story. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of the skim, uh, which uh, hovers ar- along the uh, top of the trees and is like a basically living kite. Was, but then, Sorry. Oh yeah, go on. Is that the skim or the flat? I'm getting those two uh, mixed up. The flat was just lies on the ground and wraps around you like a blanket. Right. Okay. And the skim is like a sort of evil kite that swoops down yeah. on you, right? Uh, there was one from one of the really short stories that he wrote called the Gardenel, right? Uh, which is a um, uh, he describes as a giant Venus flytrap, but it's made to capture men, so it's shaped like a cabin. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yes. It, it digests you once you go inside of it. Right, exactly. And again, he seems to have made that up. It doesn't yep. seem to be a folklore thing. Uh, w- there was one touch in the Yandro story that I liked. One of the monsters is called the uh, Culvin or Culverin, um, and it spits pebbles at you. Mm. Uh, but that's the name of an old-fashioned type of rifle, apparently. Okay. So it's almost like somebody heard about that kind of rifle and it, like, they'd never seen a gun before and okay. they turned it into a monster that could spit pebbles at yeah. you. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed that the movie didn't show any of these monsters. It did show the ugly bird. It, it was sort of a bird. bad claymation, but, yeah, so, you know, what well, are they, you going to do? They had no budget, clearly, yeah. for the movie. <laughs> I can't blame them. No, you know? no, it, it just, um, yeah. yeah. It's it They very, did mention a lot movie. of these monsters, so yeah. it was interesting. Um, yeah, so it, it adapts that story and yeah. the ugly bird yes. and then does a... Um, Sort of a weird thing with a plantation type yeah, story. Yeah, that was a. Uh, and um, the movie's a, a trying guy, to capital S say something about America. Yeah. Basically, so yeah, he goes into a um, a cotton picking 
plant or cotton field and it looks like a plantation basically right and there's a fight between an evil voodoo man and a uh and a guy named father anansi i think it was Mm -hmm. so anansi the spider basically right right and and, and it's John like he helps him out, and yeah. And for that segment, they kind of imply that he traveled back in time to slavery days. That was the implication, I thought. Yeah, yeah. They were trying was, to say, yeah, yeah. Like he somehow went because everything goes sepia toned at that mm-hmm. point. Like so, somehow he passed through a gate that threw him back in time, just yeah. for that segment of the movie, basically. Yeah, which is essentially the climax because that's yeah. the last story. Uh, anyway, yeah. But as I say, it's a story before with before he goes of, to march on Washington. Yes, <laughs> before. Yeah, it ends with him going to. I'd like to see that evil. story <laughs> exactly. Well, Billy Jack sequel apparently oh, is okay. him going to Washington and kicking butt and taking names or something. So that's what that's that's the real sequel to uh, Who Fears the Devil. But yeah, there's there's a really good song by Hoyt Axon. Again, it was made, f- I thought it was be a real old-timey uh, folk song, but apparently it was written for the movie by Hoyt mm. Oxton. Uh, that's the song that you heard at the beginning there. Okay. Um, and, um, but there's some great uh, folk songs. And again, um, uh, Wellman, he knew a few people, uh, as we said, who were apparently tied into that. He knew a guy called um, uh, Aubrey Ramsey, who was a folk singer, uh, who was apparently uh, quite legendary. Um, I'm hoping I can play one of his songs later at the end of the song at, at the end of the show here uh, but yeah just that great kind of uh, bluegrass type of music and a lot of it is where these legends come from and it's tied into the folk legends and everything so um, but yeah again that was something Wellman knew and he was he was tied into those guys yeah there's also mentions of a few uh, grimoires in the story the long lost friend and uh, what's called in the story is the Big Albert which is apparently a real grimoire called the Albertus Magnus. Right, yes, the Albertus Magnus is. I've I have heard of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's the the big. <laughs> they called it the Big Albert. That's yeah, right. Yeah, again, it's the folksy version of of. You can see it's kind of European folklore that got folksified more yeah. or less. And there's um like Wellman obviously knew what he's talking about uh, with a lot of this stuff. There's uh there's a part in um, uh the novel uh the old gods waken mm-hmm. where uh. They talk about the mythical history of England with uh, Gog Magog and right. uh, Brutus of Troy and all those. Yes, yeah, that's... Which is the origin of England, which uh, mm-hmm. is fairly obscure in, in North America. I mean, I... Yeah. I hadn't heard it for most of my life. Yeah, that's I've I've heard of <laughs> that. Does the novel does seem a bit like Wellman's kind of like look at this research I did and yeah. showing off. He, he gets into that a little I'm, bit. I'm fine with that. No, it's great. It is really good. Uh, but you know, he and uh, Ruben Manco are constantly stopping to discuss the folklore that they know and yeah. how it might affect them, which is logical enough because some of it is about to attack them. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, they the uh, yeah Gog Magog is supposedly a giant, a giant who uh, yeah I'm not really sure the story except that it was kind of a corruption of a biblical story that got turned uh, it into it might have been unrelated yeah oh it really just be uh local welsh i believe oh yeah uh, but yeah he was a giant and he he was the leader of the uh, enemy giants who at the time ruled england mm-hmm. or what became england later right so they were the uh sort of the original inhabitants mm. of the land that brutus came and conquered mm-hmm. right okay Th- this is all like English, right? You know, Brutus is tied into Roman history and tied into. Well, the, this is a different Brutus. I think this is the, uh, Brutus tied into the the tro the tro yeah yeah Troy. This is Brutus of Troy, not Brutus from nah. <laughs> but he was a Roman. He was a Roman character. Right. Yeah. So Brutus was yeah not Brutus from Julius Caesar. No, sorry. Yeah, I yeah. didn't mean to confuse anybody no. there. Well, but you but you are kind of right in that it's tied into Roman history because yeah uh, no he Romans... was a Roman. Uh, Brutus oh. of Troy was a Roman. Oh okay. But he was a descendant of Troy. 
I see. Of Aeneas of Troy. Right. From the Aeneid. Ine- because the Aeneid is funny because it's clearly the Romans going, oh, we want uh, there to be an ancient storied history for us when we're founding our nation. So yeah, we're the descendants of Troy. And it was also kind of like, because the, the Romans ended up fighting the Greeks and it was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh yeah, we're the Trojans' revenge on the Greeks. And what, and that, they created this mythical history mm-hmm. for themselves. And that then they the were, English came along and said, we're connected to ex- that. Exactly. It's exactly the same thing where they give themselves a storied uh, 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 mythology I, that's tied into their genealogy. But thing. I read about uh, Brutus and the Fairy Queen, which I thought it made up. Right. The Fairy Queen is an epic poem from the Elizabethan times. Right. And one chapter goes into the mythic history of England and yeah. goes through like King Lear and all these other people who probably didn't exist. Right, right. King Arthur. Also, yeah, well, uh, it goes up to King Arthur. He's a character in the story. Anyway, that's another yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. No, but, well, I mean, it gets touched on in The Old God's Awaken, so it's, yeah. it's relevant. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, but you can sort of see, I mean, uh, you can, like I say, you can sort of see, and again, Wellman is sort of doing it knowingly, and it's hard to separate from the real myth, but you can see how ideas kind of would get spread down and turn into the myths. Another one of the monsters in the desert on Yandro is the Bamet. Uh, which is oh, right, the mammoth. W- which is apparently a mammoth and also apparently a reference to the behemoth. So it got yeah. kind of morphed together into the Bamat. And also I like I kinda like the implication that there's a, a, all these monsters sneaking around the shadows and one of them is a mammoth. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody notices there's a mammoth sneaking around in this uh, in this cabin. But um anyway, so it that's a that's a really cool story. There's uh, the frog did you get to read Frog Father? No, I couldn't find it. Um, it, it's not online. Um, it, I know I've I've heard of it. It's uh, yeah. it's an early story that uh, before he got his silver string, supposedly. Right. Yeah. I I would almost. It almost feels again. It's one of those stories where you're not 100 percent sure it was actually technically a silver john story because i don't believe they refer to him as john and he acts more as like the kid who's there to help the guy who's collecting frogs out in the swamp Mm -hmm. basically it's very tales from the crypt he goes this nasty guy goes out to collect frogs from the swamp and uh they'd say don't anger the frog father he goes ha 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 i laugh at your frog father and then of course the giant frog father shows up and eats him uh pretty straightforward um but it is a uh it's kind of neat um but yeah, John is there sort of, and he's almost described as a kid, so it does feel okay. like it's it's sort of a prequel to a lot of what happens. Yeah, a lot of cool creatures in these stories. Yeah. Uh, one other who's like, yeah. has one arm and one leg, and yeah. he's like half, he's from another dimension. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very interesting how, you know, if it was another writer, an older time period, and actually even a modern time period, they just make it purely fantasy, I yeah. would think. But Wellman kind of almost tries to make, as I say, a pseudo-scientific justification for yeah, a lot of it. And this yeah. one sort of tied into the multiverse idea. Right, right, exactly. Where there's different dimensions that are in soap bubbles. <laughs> it yeah. Was a little confusing, but yeah, yeah it was cool. Uh, also, um, oh, uh, uh, I, I really like um, the one where he gets his, uh, his love interest. Evader, yes. Evader. Uh, that one had a, what was the monster in that one? Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the thing that lived in, uh, in the, the, um, in the, in this, the cave and the, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the guy came, I forget what it's called. Yeah. But the, the, anyway, the point is, I've got it on my (laughs) tablet, but anyway, the point is the, uh, the monster, uh, turned out had converted to Christianity (laughs) several years before and actually buried, uh, his, his friend yeah uh and 
because there was a grave, a right. Christian burial. Yeah, it's it's they, there's a there's a wizard who has a magic fiddle who's yeah. kind of it, the fiddle can compel you to do anything he wants and and he's saying I'm going to go out to this place where there's supposed to have been a monster and a hero went out to fight the monster and never came back and it turns out that w- the, when they go out there the monster the the hero converted the monster to Christianity and he's a good monster now so yeah. the monster comes in and saves them from the wizard with the fiddle yeah. which is kind of yeah. really a clever twist in some ways yeah that was uh, actually the first one I read because uh, yeah. on the uh, because they were slightly out of order, I, I figured right. that that wasn't the first one. Yeah, I uh, it, yeah, and the one I read, the Ugly Bird, is the first story. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, but yeah, no, I think the, in the book uh, that I read, they're in chronological order because Evadere is in that one, and then he does mention Evadere a few times later in the later stories, except yeah. Frogfather, which, like you say, is clearly a prequel. Yeah, um, but yeah, he gets a love interest named Evadere. She's his. Yeah, she's and his she's mentioned in the novel. Wife. Yeah, yeah, they. Well, they're about to be married in the novel. Right. And I think she gets mentioned in the other ones except for the last one, apparently. Yeah. Like I said, we haven't read the last four, but... Uh, yeah, the, the the few, you know. He kind of... I, I, it's implied in the novel that he actually sort of decided not to marry her because he couldn't... He didn't want to give her the same wandering life that mm-hmm. he had. He didn't have a house. He didn't have anywhere to... to, to you know, they, he, she'd just have to wander the, the, the mountains with him if she went with him, so he couldn't quite bear to propose to her for that reason. Um, but it's... Um, there's something else about the stories I kind of like it just to mention here. Um, I like the way that they're actually pretty upbeat and there's a few times when a lot of the pulp stories often they can get a little misogynistic when yeah. a woman's involved and like you know if a, a woman's the bad guy you know fair enough there's male bad guys as well but there's a couple of stories where there's a woman who's a bad guy and you're like oh yeah like in one other uh there's a woman who's gone up there to uh you know collect jewels that are supposedly in this uh in this uh place where one other emerges from and she's being stupid and it's obviously going to get them killed because one other's going to come out and it's kind of like oh she's the one who's going to be an idiot and get killed and then John actually saves her and she apologized and everything. And she's, she's, you know, she redeems herself by the end. Mm -hmm. And that happens again in the story of the little black train, uh, where it's a woman who sort of built her empire, a railway empire on sin. And she's celebrating that she got away with it. And the train is going to come and take her away. And again, John kind of sings a song and she sees the error of her ways and goes, Oh, you're right. And she gets out. Okay. So, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned there was Lovecraft influence, but it seems very surface level. It's not Lovecraft sort of, no, uh, misanthropy. Yeah. Um, like, uh, Lovecraft had a very, uh, uh, he thought the world was basically... Uh, mm-hmm. Lovecraft, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Wellman read Lovecraft because he was a Paul writer. No, he did. Writer. Um, but I almost feel like he's more going... Like Howard was influenced by Lovecraft, and I feel like Howard might have been more of an influence on his work than Lovecraft. But Fair enough. Lovecraft via Howard, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I say, it's that sort of wandering hero type of story. Who often Yeah, cl- but it's, it's very... Um, uh, a lot more upbeat than Lovecraft ever right. got. Yeah, and um, it's uh, it has a very uh, positive view on humanity right. and what we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Even with all these monsters, you know, we can sort of overcome them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, which it's, is the opposite of Lovecraft, where right. we're just. I, I dare nothing. I dare I say it's a pre World War Two versus post World War Two attitude. You Maybe. know, fifties and sixties kind of had a very you know things were you know people didn't like 
horror was kind of frowned at as well in the 50s and 60s to an extent and there was always a sense of oh it has to be uplift this is the era when you know comic books had to be uplifting and yeah. pulp you know was seen as a certain pulp was kind of dying for that reason and you know you couldn't do and like as we say people didn't like didn't seem to like mystical stories as much as a something that was vaguely sci-fi mm-hmm. um so there you know you don't see a lot of big fantasy stories in the 50s and that's where the story came from so that's kind of an interesting uh, uh aspect of the stories as well just that 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 gets fed into them and i almost again if if i'd been the one writing them i would have gone full-on mystical and magical and i think a lot of other I people like that would there's have. a mix yeah ex- yeah it is interesting i mean it's like i say for what they are for the time and place uh that just makes them very interesting um anyway i think we're uh gonna uh, put a pin on this for the evening we're all uh saunter off into the sunset with our guitars no. on our back no okay i'm not gonna do it all right <laughs> <laughs> fair enough but um we will say goodbye and yonder and uh take uh take care and uh if you see a guy coming about coming around with silver strings on his guitar is you know make sure to give him a good good meal because you know you never know when he might be there to help save you from a monster oh yeah just one last thing uh sorry you gave um i i do highly recommend this and i would also recommend if you like this uh the comic book rock candy mountain right which is more about rail hobo things but right. it's and it's set post World War Two, but right. uh, uh, it's very good as well. And it's sort of, uh, it's more comedic, but it has a similar sort of right folkloric feel to it. Yeah, there's the hobo mythology. So yeah. there's kind of the logger mythology. There's the hillbilly mythology, and there's the hobo mythology. Mm. And they kind of, but it's all the Americana folklore type stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but that's yeah, that's a good story done by your your friend of his, right? No, I don't know. It? You know? Oh, okay. A lot of people I know know him, but no, right. it's it's uh, Kyle Starks. Kyle Starks. Yeah, he's a very talented guy. Yes. Yes, there's a few uh, out there uh, that are in keeping with that whole kind of thing. Anyway, that's it for the latest show. I uh, want to thank our engineer producer, Alex Ross, and uh, Jack Furick, who wrote the theme song. Um, also, credit to uh, Hoyt Axton, who wrote the opening song. Uh, you can support us on Patreon if you like us, uh, which I hope you do. Uh, and if you do that, you will be able to listen to the show a week early. Uh, we'll provide links to both myself and Phil's Patreon down below. Um, just a reminder that we uh, also have an Instagram for the page, uh, which we are putting up with uh, interesting art, and our, our own art, and actually we'd love to see your fan art as well. Uh, so if you have anything like that, feel free to uh, post it to the Facebook page, which we also have. Uh, you can look up either on both Instagram and Facebook, we're What Mad Universe, uh, so you can see what we've got there and join in the discussion on the Facebook page. Uh, both Phil and I are on Twitter. Uh, I am at Prankster36, and he's at SpearHafok, H A F O C underscore. So please follow us, and we'd love to hear from you. So, to all you weary wanderers, from Phil and I and everyone here at What Mad Universe, Hope you find a shelter for the night and a home-cooked meal, and y'all come back now, you hear?